You're listening to the Buildify Method Podcast, where we're all about mindset, systems, and profit. As a nationally recognized business consultant, coach, and speaker, your host, Aaron Keith, is passionate about supporting the entrepreneur community by sharing his knowledge gained from coaching over 10,000 entrepreneurs in nearly 20 years, companies ranging from billion-dollar enterprises and celebrities all the way to Main Street and small startups. Each Buildisode's blunt, no-bullshit conversation is led by Aaron along with his co-host, Ryan Coyne, a veteran tech consultant and nationally recognized speaker. Each week, Aaron and Ryan deconstruct mental and physical aspects of the topics that challenge all successful entrepreneurs, while also providing coaching, insight, and specific advice on distinctions that affect all growth-minded entrepreneurs. So listen up. It's time to work on your business, not just in your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Aaron Keith. I want to welcome you all to the Buildify Method podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, Ryan Coyne. Thank you, Aaron. Welcome to part two of our two-part series on every entrepreneur's dream, exit strategy, and selling your company. In the first part of our series, we talked about three sections, prepping for the sale, prepping your mindset, and assembling your team. Aaron, can you give us a quick summary before we go into today's episode? Absolutely. So in our last episode, we we laid out a few things that we thought were absolutely critical that I'm just going to highlight really quick. One, get an evaluation done of your business a couple years prior to wanting to sell. That gives you a lot of information, a lot of insights. That way, you know the main KPIs, the key performance indicators that you and your team need to be working on well in advance to maximize the sales value of your company. Two, there are some books that Ryan and I think are very critical for you to read. One, Walking to Destiny by Chris Snyder, The $10 Trillion Opportunity by Richard Jackham and Words That Work by Frank Luntz. And these books will help really prepare you for this journey ahead of you. Next is the mindset. You got to know your walk away number, that drop dead number, that if it's not there, you're walking from the deal. Really important. You got to know your sales uh, target number. What number do you want to sell this company for? So you have that big shiny goal ahead of you. And then last, know that this is a journey. This is a long hike with some hills, some, some down climbs, And at the end of that long, long, long journey, it's a beautiful view, but be mentally prepared for the journey and the emotions that come across with it. Last, assembling your team. You got to have your attorney, your evaluator, your accountant, and most importantly, your linguistics person helping you phrase things and language things, and your consultant who's helping you with the strategy, who's coaching you, keeping you in line, and helping build that narrative with you. Aaron, that was a beautiful summary of our first episode. And in today's second part of our two-part series, we're going to be covering the tactical work as the process gets underway, the negotiations, and nailing the deal. So Aaron, can you talk to us about the tactical work that we need to be familiar with as the process gets underway? Yeah, I think the thing that a lot of people are, are not spending enough time doing is getting intimately connected to their books. And not intimately connected to their books from the standpoint of their day-to-day operations of their company, but most importantly, it's these books are going to be scrutinized to the nth degree. So you have to know how to justify what some of the spending is, what these expenses are, why you've made certain decisions financially. So really starting to understand what your books need to look like when it's time is your books are going to be altered and changed and kind of tuned up for the deal. So as that tuning up is happening, you have to be with your bookkeeper. You have to be with your accountant, having a better understanding of how to speak to these points that everything is being adjusted on. And then next, build your narrative. 
you know, this is something Ryan, uh, you were very, uh, very connected to. You helped me do this uh, for for weeks and weeks and weeks. But everybody, as a takeaway here, build your narrative. What that means is you have to create a storyline of, of of what you're selling here. This is one of the biggest sales of your life for most of us, and you have to understand what are those talking points. How are you going to convince? this person or these people that are looking at possibly acquiring you, why it's worth this, all these other aspects that are making up this number, why should they care about those aspects or those aspects, those, uh, those, those valuable pieces actually worth what you say they're worth. So that narrative crafts a storyline that ultimately can make you tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars or not. And in some people's cases, millions of dollars. So that, that creation of your narrative is so important. It's true. And even with getting somebody to consider what you're saying further, because it's not just about selling the people who are interested in purchasing your business on that they should purchase it. They, if you've gotten this far, they're really serious. But getting them to reconsider a position that they've taken, that's where that narrative really comes in. That's where it gets them to go back to their rest of their team, if it's not just one person, and say, well, this is pretty compelling or there's really not much here and they don't even talk about it internally. That can be the difference. Absolutely. So here's a takeaway point for everybody who's listening. What I suggest you do that helped us out a lot because your team is involved in this conversation. This is not just you on an island writing this down on a sticky this is something that everybody on your team has to be able to weigh in on and look at is make a list of every single asset, every single asset. And that can be emotional. Um, it doesn't have to be a tangible and make a list of every single asset for this business and then start putting a dollar amount to what you think that asset is worth. Then as you start to craft your narrative, that narrative can sweep in all of those different value pieces and coming up with that big number, because now you're justifying, you're justifying it, not from a positional standpoint of I'm right, you're wrong, but you're justifying it from a storyline of, you know, winning and how we're all in this together. And this is what they're getting as part of the deal. So moving into the next section, the negotiations, this is something that we have in, in pop culture quite a bit and in business we do all the time, whether it's with an employee that's trying to negotiate a, a raise or some kind of part of the golden handcuffs like we've covered in previous build episodes, or it's it's going to be the, the real part of how do we get closer to what our goals are, right? We have our ideal target price. We know our walkaway number. The negotiations are how you get as close as possible to your ideal target price. And I want you to go into what's the first thing that people should do to be preparing themselves for the actual negotiations themselves. Right. Yeah. And a lot of us have not been trained in negotiating. You know, we're CEOs, we're entrepreneurs. We, we've had to learn by default just from our normal business dealings. So there's a book that I, I, I love. Um, I think he's a wonderful person to also follow on social media. Uh, Chris Voss, he has a book called never split the difference. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. So it's a very popular book out there. This is a book that I would read more than once. There's so much juice in this book. I would read it, put it down for a month or two, start applying what you're learning, 
pick it back up after about three months and read it again. You're going to hear things at a much different level. So at this stage, we're in negotiations. This is where everything is, is on the line, right? The negotiations are where deals are made or lost, as we know. So inform yourself. So Ryan, are there any books that you recommend at this level for negotiations? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about in the in the first part of our series, I mentioned Words That Work by Dr. Luntz, uh, Dr. Frank Luntz. Um, the negotiation that he speaks to is not necessarily on the nose. It's about the different tools that equip you for the situation. Mm-hmm. He has another book called How to Win at Business. It talks about Fred Smith and the Purple Promise with FedEx and you know uh, Steve Wynn and different successful people um, that have built such a brand that is really renowned the world over, um, and that the brand becomes a negotiating factor unto itself, you know? Yeah. Um, so words that work goes over the 10 rules of effective communication. Uh, this will probably be a dedicated build a sode because I think it's really important to break them down and go over each one, but the 10 rules of effective communication, you know, just a quick example is never making people run for the dictionary. As tempting as it may be to throw a bunch of SAT words into a negotiation, you're actually being a dick because if the person doesn't know that word that you're using or you're going to throw in some some Latin phrases, which lawyers are obsessed with because they had to learn it for school or French because you think it makes you sound sophisticated uh, or, or, or multisyllabic words that are just meant to make you sound impressive, you can be doing the opposite. You're making somebody either get derailed to have to think about it or you're making somebody maybe feel like you're being condescending or talking down to them when in negotiation, the worst that you should be treating somebody is speaking horizontally. Okay. You speak up to somebody when you're trying to build ingratiating goodwill and you speak horizontally when you're trying to treat somebody as a peer. If you're sitting at the negotiating table or you're in an email thread or anything similar, you don't necessarily want to throw complexity in there just for the sake of it to make something sound pretty. Clarity doesn't equal complexity. Okay. So that's something that Dr. Frank Luntz keys in on a ton and that Aaron, you and I, during your negotiations recently, you know, we did that. We distilled down some things to be so much clearer with fewer words, you know, less is more in a lot of cases, especially this one. Absolutely. You know, when, when we were doing this, we mentioned this in the last build episode, you know, Lynn White, my sales consultant and, uh, you know, a friend and colleague along with you, Ryan, we were working on the strategy. We were working on really crafting each word. And the thing that we all kept coming back to is clarity, clarity, clarity. As human beings, we are not the most clear. We think we are, but we are not super clear. And everybody, one of the, the big takeaways in this section of negotiations is make sure you are crafting every word. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I mean it craft every word, read your email three, four times prior to sending. It has to be absolutely clear, not clear to you, clear to everyone. There can't be any interpretation. That's the really big challenge. There was huge things that we had to deal with in my sale that were vague. I thought I was clear. I thought the, the buyer was clear and, you know, weeks down the negotiating, we found out that we weren't or one party wasn't. And so one of the other things I want to say about clarity actually comes down to email and text message. In this day, day-to-day culture where we live by text message, we do very important deals sometimes and have very important conversations via text uh, and obviously through email. I don't believe in that. 
in this part, one of the best pieces of coaching that my consultant, my team was giving me was don't write that email, get on the phone. Here's how we craft the conversation, but verbally have the conversation. So clarity exists because an email, the, the vagueness or the, the miscommunication can keep being perpetuated. So one of the biggest takeaways here in this negotiating phase is be brave. Don't send the email, pick up the phone and talk it out. Take very, very good notes and then send a recap email after the verbal conversation, noting it and putting it into a, a structure that works that everyone can reference later. So that was one of the biggest things that we noticed. And kind of to this point, you got to listen to your team as you're going through this negotiating process. So many people, my accountant brought up things I wasn't aware of. My consultant, Ryan, you brought up things I wasn't aware of. Everybody is contributing to the overall totality of the strategy through the negotiations. You have to be open and listen to your team. Don't be bullheaded. Don't be strong. Don't think that you know. Unless you've sold several companies before, you probably don't. And there's so much new, unique things that happen through this transaction that your team is going to be informing you and infusing you with new information that's going to craft or change your opinion on what you need to say or do next. So that's another strong bullet point to look at. You know, be informed. You know, again, this is why we talked about in the last build episode, preparation, preparation, preparation. Do your reading, know your stuff. So you're going in as prepared as humanly possible. And, you know, again, know your walk away number. You know, when you, when you know that walk away number and you know that, that ideal target number that you want to sell for, you are very empowered during this process. That's the thing I've watched so many CEOs and Ryan, I know you have seen this too. You have so many entrepreneurs that are going through a process like this, whether they're buying a company, selling a company and the emotions just get in there. They just do. Even if you're very pragmatic, emotions still get the best of us at times. And when you're really grounded in the facts, you're really grounded in the numbers, it allows you to calm down, make very systematic, very well strategized decisions. Yeah. And communicating those things in different ways to the people who are interested in purchasing the business helps them figure out on their side, okay, well, how do we make that work for us? What do we need to do? What things can we offer them that will help them hit their price? Right. Because you even told me about the thing about that. There's a, there's a holdback number, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that you, yeah. Yeah. We'll get that in the next, in the next section in detail, but yeah, there's all kinds of new things. Even my accountant was filling me in uh, just a few days ago on some of the different things that need to be structured in the LOI. There's so much unique information that each party in your team is going to be infusing you with that. It's so important to keep them very tight with you attached to every conversation along the way. Now, Ryan, I think we need to bring this up again because negotiating is the, in my opinion, the biggest chunk of the deal. And it's not just having that great team around you and being knowledgeable and really watching what you say and what words you use, but there's also some technology behind this. So you were very instrumental in introducing me to a technology and using that technology through this sales process. And I know you've You've used this with, with hundreds of other businesses over the years. Talk, talk to everybody again about Crystal Nose and its value in the negotiating phase. Yeah. So Crystal Nose, which we talked about a bunch in part one, I'm not going to go into the, the full nitty gritty of it here, but what it's going to allow you to do 
is to understand very specifically how to reply to somebody and how they may be actually trying to communicate, even if they're not giving you that feeling directly, right? Uh Not all communication is on the nose. It's one of the most important things, like you mentioned earlier, is getting on the phone because, you know, our audience as entrepreneurs and business owners there and even CEOs, they're really talented at being able to communicate with people when you have all the different things that are available about human communication, seeing somebody's face, seeing somebody's body language, hearing somebody's intonation. I mean, there are many languages that are completely based on intonation, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the East Asian languages, you can't get away with it, you know, in terms of only relying on text to hear somebody in their tone and what they really mean to say. This happens all the time when it comes to conflict. Well, I didn't say it like that. I didn't mean to say it. You know, Key right. and Peele has a famous sketch on that where two best friends are having an innocent conversation and one takes it the wrong way. Um, and it, and it, it's Crystal Knows helps you make sure that you're understanding this person's communication style. If somebody is very dominant and Crystal is telling you that they have a domineering personality, well, then you can read dominating statements how they're intended to, to sound. Absolutely. If somebody is very conscientious and a more reserved type and is more of a, a calculated individual, then something that sounds like it's dominant may not actually be intended that way. And it's very important to kind of filter the communication every time there's something really important to respond to. It's important to go back to their profile that you've built on Crystal Knows about them, which is automatic, but you have to put the, the, the you know, at least get them into the hopper there uh, and, and understand how does this filter what they've said into my brain? It can't just be taken at face value. You can't treat everybody the same. And this definitely helps you distinguish you know, one communication style from another and perhaps avoid making either a mistake that lowers the m- amount of money that you're going to be getting or worse, alienate the buyer completely so that you can have a successful negotiation. Absolutely. Really well said. So let's flow into the next section, everybody. Nailing the deal, right? Really inking the deal and getting it done. So I want to actually bring up mindset again. This is a place where I know for myself and a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've worked with over the years have dealt with this. And, you know, I'm, I'd like to say that I've spent a lot of time working on myself and I have a really strong mental aptitude. And I still got really hooked during this part of the process where I was very nervous personally. And I've watched a lot of my CEOs at a certain point become fearful of saying something. They be, they, they became passive. And they didn't want to, to blow up the deal. So they started holding back communications or being nervous about having certain conversations. You know, this is a very fluid process. And each stage, every day, I realize, oh, crap, I forgot to build that in or I forgot to note that. So during this part of the process, I, I strongly recommend reminding yourself it's okay. It's not going to fail. It's not going to blow up and have the communication. So many of us get just worn down at this point and we just want it to happen. We don't want to piss anybody off. We don't want to rub anyone the wrong way. So again, this is why your team is so important because you're going to want to communicate about something, but you're going to be afraid. I promise you there's going to be a point where like, I don't know, is this worth bringing up? And then you, you you need to tell your team, have your team help you discern is, is this worth having? Is this worth saying? If it is, crafting it to Ryan's point in a way that's very well received, that feels innocent. It's non-threatening. It's there's no, there's no landmines kind of built into the communication so that things keep progressing to the finish line. 
So that's one thing that I'd really pay attention to. And, you know, throughout this process, I think there's some unique points that are worth mentioning. We're not going to mention all of the kind of uniqueness because every deal, uh, you know, is, is a little different. But when you get to the the letter of interest, right, that part of the deal where, you know, you've negotiated, you've agreed, and now the buyer sends you the letter of interest, your LOI. It's all on paper now. Now it's starting to get on paper. And there's something called a holdback. And to Ryan's point from... Uh, from earlier, it's kind of like buying a house. For those of you who've done that, there's a point in buying a house where you negotiate the, the sale price. Let's say you're, you want to buy the house for you know uh, half a million dollars, and then you start doing inspections on that home. Well, you find out that you know there's some termites here, and that you know the, the roof needs a little bit of work, and there's this faucet that's leaking, and now you negotiate with that person to reduce the sale price by twenty thousand dollars. Well, guess what? That happens here too. It's called a holdback. And the, the buyer has the ability to do a holdback. It's quite normal. And that holdback could be anywhere from, you know, six to 9% of the sale price up to 25, 35%. So if you're selling a business for a million dollars, there's a high probability that you're, you're going to have a couple hundred thousand dollars held back for three months, six months, 12 months that you don't get. And then after the deal, they have the right to whittle down that money that they're holding back and not give it all to you based on things they find or things that happen. So this opens up a huge can of worms. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole here, but this is a place to start to inform, start Googling. What is a holdback? How does that process work? How to structure a holdback? There's a lot of learning in this one. Very yeah, idea. and it, it goes all the way back to prepping for the sale that we talked about in, in our last episode of this two-part series is one of the reasons we're recommending to get that valuation done two years before you intend to sell is to find this stuff out, the stuff that could potentially be a problem later. You want to do your own inspection, find out about those termites, find out about the faucet and the roof so that those things don't impact the sale later because you know, forgetting about your own cold feet, what about theirs? This is a respectful part of the process where you don't want to undermine all the goodwill that's being built here and how exciting every, everything gets to people and that are involved in the transaction by having a bunch of surprises. And to me, I mean, it's something that not every entrepreneur or business owner has a partner in the business. And I mean, a real partner with a capital P who actually has equity. But if you do have a leadership team, this is something that everybody needs to be aware of going forward towards a potential sale in the future, even if it's not actually you know on the horizon yet. As stuff happens within the business, it's got to get recorded for your own, you know, your own posterity and your notes about the business that this is something that could potentially be a thing that is a problem later during a sale. Right. Absolutely. You know, and something else that, uh, you know, Ryan and I have talked about offline through my own transactions and the transactions of a few of my clients is I've noticed that a lot of my clients haven't spent the time sitting down with their CPA and their financial advisor. Everybody listening, you have to take this note down. It's very important. Your accountant and your financial advisor and yourself must sit down prior to the deal and talk out all of the things that are going to happen and the different ways they together can strategize to lower your tax liability. Your financial advisor is going to have a unique uh, set of opinions and so is your accountant. And you need both of them on the same page as far as what's the best strategy for your deal. And here's the thing. You need to do this prior to the deal. 
The reason being is, as we were finding out with, with, with my deal and some of my clients, how the deal is inked. So how it's actually structured does have an impact on your tax liability. There's ways of structuring the same deal multiple ways that have different tax implications. That's really important to understand. So your account needs to start to get involved in helping, you know, uh, nudge the uh, negotiate with the buyer of how things are going to be recorded in the actual documents, because that's going to have a direct correlation to your tax liability. And then post, once the deal has been signed and money has been exchanged, how is your CPA and your financial advisor going to take those proceeds and leverage those things for your financial future and lower your tax liability? So there's a lot of options. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of homework in this phase. And again, taxes can easily take a big 25% chunk out of your deal. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money that you're just writing over to the government. So you think you're walking away with this handsome paycheck and then Uncle Sam reaches out his hand. So it's, it's, it's something to, to Ryan's point. We want to be well-prepared. This is one of the steps to get well-prepared. Exactly. And being well-prepared for that helps avoid some of the things we're going to talk about next, um, including surprises. I mean, the, one of the biggest surprises is the, the financial exposure and the liability. You know, being prepared for that, even as far back as the very beginning, can help you avoid the feelings of, oh my goodness, I never thought about that. Oh my God. You know, we see a lot of people hang their head after a deal, you know, whether it's people that we know or even in, in examples in culture and media that we've seen people go through transactions. You know, that's something that you can avoid feeling like, ah, oh, if I only had thought of that, I wouldn't have this or I wouldn't have that. So all of this is just, it's so, so underscored and can't be overstated the importance of being present to the numbers. I know that a lot of people who run businesses, a lot of people who are involved at a high level or in the C-suite of businesses, they leave all the numbers to the number people. This is not one of the places you can do that. Exactly to your point about leveraging it is these things are financial instruments. The kinds of income and the kinds of money that this makes you can be rolled into other things that reduce your tax exposure. So if your financial advisor and your CPA are on that team and they're coordinating with each other, then that helps you tremendously to maximize the value of what you're getting for your sale. So Aaron, take us into some other surprises that could arise during nailing the deal. So something else I think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, don't think about because they don't do a lot of uh, research prior to a transaction is understanding that a lot of CEOs, part of the deal is them staying on for two years, five years, and thinking through that, like you're about to be an employee of your own company that you sold. Are you okay with that? Are you mentally prepared for that? You're going to have very, very strict KPIs placed upon you. That's pretty normal. And, you know, you're, you're about to be governed by some people that you probably don't know, right? These, these buyers, for most of us, we don't know our buyers. Um, we, we don't know their team. But shortly, once the deal is inked, you're now working for them for two, three, four, five years with very strict KPIs. So just getting your, your mind around that concept. You know, with mine, I, I structured it to not be there, that I was just literally turning over the keys to the car and walking away. So that's something just to start to look at and start to be prepared for. The biggest aha that usually catches people by surprise and not in a good way is what happens when I turn over the keys to the car and I, I, I walk away and a few minutes later I realize I don't own 
my business anymore. I sold it. It's gone. There's, there's depression. There's a, there's an emptiness. There's a void. It's normal. I don't want you all listening to this thinking that there's something wrong with you. Um, what's going on? You have to understand it's normal. It's like losing, losing a person, like someone passed away. There is this very odd thing that happens. And for some of my clients, it's lasted well over a year. So just to mentally prepare yourself, I have several clients I can think of who have helped them sell their company and 12 months go by and they're just now getting their sea legs around their identity. A lot of us wrap our identity into our businesses, even though, you know, a lot of us say we haven't, we have, it's a part of our soul, right? We put so much blood, sweat, and tears and energy into these things. And then all of a sudden it's gone. It's not ours. And so be prepared for a little bit of depression be prepared for the loss of identity. And it's normal. Be gentle with yourself. Give yourself space around that. But that's something to be well prepared for and put a plan in place. For many of my clients that I know are selling and they're selling you know, a pretty sizable company, I start working on what's next for them way in advance. So way in advance to me, six months to a year. Six months is pretty short. A year is ideal for me. Start working on that. What am I going to do next? Am I volunteering? Am I starting another company? What am I doing? And starting to move your, yourself into that next phase really helps with this transition. That's all I got. I want to I I add here just in case, but we can cut this if you don't like it. You know, you wouldn't be alone if you felt that way by a, by a mile. You know, we've known people, we've been friends with people who've gone through this process and, and felt those same feelings. I know that in 2018, when I sold my marketing company that I had as a, as a second business to my technology company, that is how I felt after it was gone. I said, well, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not a photographer anymore. Um, maybe I know about photography. I'm still an expert or subject matter expert in some of the material, but I, I can't really say that I'm an expert marketer or that I do it every day for a living or that I have the authority that I commanded before when I was really doing it every single day. I even had feelings of when will the industry pass me by if I'm not materially involved day to day, if I'm not keeping up on all the developments in technology that are specific to marketing and the different things we were doing. Uh, I know that even now when I see an article or a news item that comes up in that industry, uh, I, I kind of have this extra little thought that creeps up from the back of my brain that says, this wouldn't have taken you by surprise a couple of years ago. You would have had you know rumors and knowledge and different kinds of things from being in the industry that would have keyed you into this. Does it matter? No. I've moved on to something that I'm doing now with more passion and more time. I'm now enjoying what I'm doing more with that experience rolled into it. That makes me a more well-rounded individual in business that people can, can trust for my consulting because I did that, but I'm also now not distracted by it. You can't keep every single business forever, or you're the kind of person who maybe doesn't have enough to give to what they're doing primary day to day. But I've been there too. And I think that we all have to some extent. Absolutely. So with that, uh, we're going to do a quick summary of today's episode. We covered the tactical work as the process gets underway, the negotiation and the deal. Aaron, can you give us a quick summary of what we talked about today? Absolutely. So remember everyone on the tactical side of things, be prepared with your books, get your books really tuned up, know your talking points, really understand what your narrative is and all of the, the, the key pieces of value and know how to sew that into a beautiful narrative 
that your team and yourself can craft and push to that new buyer. Second is negotiatings. Again, read your books, be prepared, build up your negotiating skills. You know, not everything is an email or a text message. Pick up the phone, have a verbal conversation, bring that clarity, clarity, clarity to the table. Know your number, know your walk away number, be prepared. And then really knowing the deal, you know, mentally preparing yourself for closing up the deal. Know the unique things are going to show up with your letter of interest, your LOI. Make sure your CPA and your financial advisor are, are working with you on how to maximize that tax liability. And this deal will go to the end and you'll, you'll sign it and you'll be hopefully a happy camper moving on to the, the next business, the next company. Walking into the promised land. That's right. Ready for the next one. That's good. So we hope that we have armed you with all kinds of valuable information to be able to think about and maybe even start your own process. Maybe a lot of you out there are going to go and maybe find a evaluator to be able to help you two years in advance of your sale. We'd like you to let us know if you have any specific questions about this process, or even if you want to share. On a future build episode, we're probably going to revisit this. We're going to have, I believe, uh, I think I can confidently say we're going to have Lynn White, the consultant strategist that we talked about that helped us um, not only with understanding all the different things that went into Aaron's most recent sale, but I'm going to put her information in the show notes so that in case you're curious and you're looking for somebody who we trust and endorse to help you with yours, you can get a hold of Lynn. Uh, and we hope that uh, we hope that this helped you. This was a really fun two-part series for us to go into all this information for you, to talk about the different, the hills, the declines, you know, everything from the mental side is, is so important here because it is a grueling experience, but a tremendously rewarding one. So I want to thank you everybody for joining us here on the Buildify Method podcast for our two-part series on exit strategy and selling your company. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very important because it helps other like-minded entrepreneurs such as yourselves find us and add to this community of tools and information that we're building. And we do look forward to talking to you very, very soon again. Thank you, everybody. Okay.